Hello, and welcome to the second of three episodes in the Apostles' Creed Lenten podcast miniseries at First Lutheran Church. My name is Lindsay Gray, and I'm the chair of the Education and Discipleship Board. Today we'll discuss part of the second article in the Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I'm joined on this episode by Pastor Lars, Sarah Stenson, and Mason and Andrea Vanessen. Welcome, and thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's good to be here with you, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, what do you guys know about Article 2 or part of Article 2? What kind of sticks out to you? What are some questions that you have? I think one of the things that pops into my head is Luther's catechism. Uh, it's in the large catechism, which is the part he wrote for pastors and parents. Uh, when he writes on the second article of the creed, Luther actually says this creed is the thing our whole salvation uh, rests on this part of the creed understanding um, who Jesus was and is for us now and what the gospel actually is for Luther is the thing our, our whole faith hinges on so that's the thing that jumps out to me this is not just an insignificant little um, part of what we say every Sunday morning yeah, it's, it's, Sarah, that's interesting because so often you never hear about kind of second article concerns or something like this, but first article is on everybody's mind, uh, and it's always about camping, uh, fires <laughs> out in the forest or something, but the second article is all about Jesus and salvation and, and the God that we actually know and touch and hear from, um, the, the, the only God that we actually know, and so it's critical that we understand the second article of things. And I think it's really easy to overlook just how familiar this is. I mean, we read through it, it's Jesus. We hear about Jesus all the time and we hear about his life in sermons. And so like a lot of this is very familiar to us, but it's really important to actually break down what is being said here and just the actual significance of the words being said. It's, it's also funny you say that because, yeah, people, you know the story pretty well. Uh, people are raised in, in the church and they, they hear the Bible stories. And, and it is just a retelling of all the Bible stories, that just going through the basics, the high points of, of Jesus' life. Um, and still, we find people saying things like, well, I'm not so sure about that portion. Uh, the virgin birth, I don't really know about that. And, you know, even recently you run into... Uh, um, people think wondering you know is the resurrection from the dead really there did he did he rise from the grave or is that just something that happened in the mind right um and, and does it matter and does it matter if at, he did or not all. right but it's but you're, what you're getting at there mason is that every point in the second article is really talking about a historical actual thing not a spiritualized metaphorical uh understanding of anything it's saying uh here's pontius pilate uh, here's Mary. Uh, these things actually happened in the flesh, which is the point that Sarah, I think, was getting at the beginning, that Jesus in the flesh actually makes, uh, makes a difference for salvation. Yep, here and now. It's not simply historic. It's actually functioning now. Well, that's true, too. The, uh, the 
Uh, but the creed, what I was saying, was that it's pointing to an actual historical person, yep. not just a, a spiritual thing. But yes, it's going to become yep. how this comes to us even Yeah, now. which is why Luther is saying our salvation hinges on understanding this part of the Apostles' Creed. So what, what parts stick out for you, Mason? The things that really are just, you're saying, this is, uh, this is what we know. This is the basics. Well, beyond the first section of it, which is a lot of the historic touch points that you mentioned, I think the thing that sticks out is the end of it. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Yeah. Like the, that part, it, we don't necessarily understand because none of us have been to heaven yet. But what does that actually look like? What is the significance of him being seated at the right hand of the Father? What is judging the living and the dead? What does that actually mean, the significance to our faith? So I want to point out just one thing you said there, which was uh, this is beyond the historical. But actually, the ascension actually happens. Uh, it, it's, we miss it almost every year because it happens on a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> and so we never quite get to that uh, in, in worship. And so people miss that. But his ascension into heaven uh, at the beginning of, of, uh, of the book of Acts is, is a historical event that, that, that Acts is even laying down for us. Um, so yes, we, we miss that that's part of this. Uh, the, the sitting at the right hand of, uh, of God's throne, uh, sitting at the right hand of God is, uh, is another uh, important place. I think Sarah was trying to get in on that one. Yeah, I was actually. So people think of heaven as a, like up there floating in the clouds, it's a place. And so then they'll they'll say this or hear this seated at the right hand of the Father, and I think the imagery that frequently comes to mind is you know the angels and the harps and the you know the fluffy little clouds, and God on a throne and Jesus also on a throne, at, literally at his you know like physical right hand, God's right hand. Luther actually has a great way of depicting this though and debunking a lot of that a lot that whole imagery, like especially the heaven up above and it's this. Um, your heaven is one thing, my heaven is another. That's actually coming right out of philosophy, not scripture. So what Luther does with that is he talks about the right hand of the Father as literally goes back actually to what Pastor Lars said in the first article, God, the creator of heaven and earth, that when we say Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, we are actually saying because God the Father and Jesus was there at creation as well, that Jesus is everywhere now. He's present wherever he's preached, but he's also active in creation today. That's what it means to be for Jesus to be seated at the right hand of the Father, that he is active in creation to this day with God the Father now. So when he ascends to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, he's actually just, um, at that point, he's no longer fully human and fully divine, as we're confessing here in this part of the Apostles' Creed. He's actually just fully divine. That's what happens at the ascension, actually. He's no longer walking around in the flesh. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you think that this is um, something that is a little bit harder for people to understand than in the first article? I mean, I think so many people can relate to God, the creator of heaven and earth, and some of these are a little bit harder to relate to. Would that be why? Some people don't necessarily know as much about the second article as they do the first. Yeah, I think the, the, that, that comes down to just people kind of um, 
saying, well, here is Jesus, but, you know, we like to make Jesus into our own image, into our own uh, creation, and make Jesus into something other than the one who suffered and died and rose again, so that we turn Jesus into the best philosopher or the best lover of the world or something. Um, and so when you come down to it, people hate the creed in a sense because it says this is who Jesus is uh, and kind of locks you in. Um, you find people all the time loving the loving the Father or loving the Spirit uh, because um, because they're not they're not in the flesh they're not concrete enough and so you can you can uh, you can love God in any form that you want but when when God becomes flesh and it becomes this person, this uh, man who, who is crucified and, and uh, dies and is risen. You can't say, well, I wish he was something else. <laughs> I mean, you can wish that, but he is that you person. You can't get around it. You can't get around I it. You can't other, mold him into something else. And I think the other piece of that is there's something, if you're really honest with scripture, and you really, like Mason was saying, stop and think about what we're confessing here specifically on suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. And you understand in one sentence what you're actually confessing there. Christ, God, became sin itself. He became sin. He, I mean, we can, it's kind of that abstract. You can kind of say, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus, fully God, fully man. He took on the sin of the world. We can even say he took my sin. But you can keep it distanced, and you keep Jesus distanced from sin and the muck of the world that we live in. That's literally what Jesus took on and what God did in sending his only son to take on the muck of the world. Luther says, so much so that his skin smokes. That's how much he takes on our sin, so that his skin smokes. So I think that's part of it too is I think there's a if you're honest with it there's such an ugliness and almost a revulsion an instinctive revulsion people have at first in actually confessing God the creator actually also is walking around in the flesh and taking on our sin yours and mine I mean, talk about the philosophical understanding of God is that God cannot right. uh, be touchable and 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 take on sin. And to say what you said, um, which the Bible clearly says that uh, he who knew no sin yep. became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, um, that to, to think of God not as in heaven someplace, uh, pure and and holy apart, but right here amongst us in the muck and mire and trouble of the world, really has not just just today, that has been a problem for Christians forever. Yeah, Uh, all sorts of theories on how that's not the case. Not the case. (laughs) And how how do we clean Jesus up and make him presentable in the world rather than who he says he is, the one who's going to suffer and die, just like the second article is. So, Andrew, how does that... Function, like how does that land for you when we talk about that? I know you've heard yeah. a little bit like in our Bible study, but. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I might be going a little bit back to basics here, but what stands out for me at the very beginning is just the length of the article. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in elementary school and we had to memorize the first article in the meaning and memorize the second article in the meaning. And you just look at it in the worship folder and it's so much longer. And then listening to you guys talk about it and it's, our salvation it's Jesus coming to earth it's really important stuff are you saying that the second article is the most important 
because we're taught that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all equal and we should care about them all equally. But, and I guess I'm also was thinking that, you know, you're talking about Jesus being historic and having all these historical elements, but there's historical elements to God. I mean, we have the entire Old Testament. So why so much longer than any of the others? So why is there, why is the article so much longer? Yeah. Yeah. You would think that, you know, you get the whole Old Testament for God, the creator. Uh, <laughs> you should have a lot more to say than, you know, the creator of all yeah. things. Um, uh, but, um, but that's exactly right. I, I would say, yes, the second article is the most important, not because the others are unimportant and not because we're here to talk about the second article and we think the other podcasts are garbage, uh, <laughs> but, but simply because uh, it is about the God that we know, uh, the God who actually comes to us and does the work that God finally wants to be known as. Uh, does God want to be known as creator and almighty? Sure. Uh, that's absolutely there. Does God want to be known as the spirit uh, who uh, continues to, to care for and speak this word into the world? Yes. But both the Father and the Spirit are always pointing to Jesus the Son, saying that's the one you can't escape. That's the one you can't dodge. Uh, that's the one who finally, uh, where I want to be known. And especially for Jesus, of course, uh, it's right there in the middle of the of the uh, of the article is that he dies for the sins of the world. Um, that's where finally the whole of the creed comes right to the center and says that's what God wants to uh, everyone to know about. And actually, I agree with Lars. We're not saying you can separate um, the three persons of God: God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So it's not as if you can separate the person or work of any one of the three. But in terms, this is why Luther says this is the thing our salvation hinges on, is actually knowing what the second article says about Jesus. Um, but if you're s- simply thinking about first article, God the creator, that's actually obviously created heaven and earth, so nature. That's the unpreached God. That's the God that is causing the power outages <laughs> across the country now. <laughs> and these ice storms and... <laughs> horrific weather and the coronavirus and all these things that literally put us in hell. Like, how can I believe in a God who is allowing all these things to happen? Well, this is actually the God we don't know, really. We know there's a God. We know he's active in everything I just said and obviously a lot more. We run from that God to Jesus Christ and specifically his word of forgiveness, peace. You are a child of God as a baptized Christian, marked with the cross of Christ forever. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. So that's why I too say this is the most important article for us because it delivers peace now. Are we supposed to know God in the way that you put that? Like we you're saying that we don't know God the Father no. in that way. Are we supposed to? Because I no. think that's a really common trope. No. That's the God we cannot know. And that's the part that I'm a little interested in from you, Lindsay, when you said a little bit earlier that you feel like you gravitate more towards the first and the third article because you can, you can, uh, you gravitate towards God or the Spirit. But for me, like I'm gravitating towards Jesus. But like you said, we're running towards Jesus here because He's the only part of that that we can know. So, like, why do you feel like we 
gravitate intellectually towards this pristine, powerful, almighty God or the spirit that uh, is a little bit ambiguous at points. It's a little less known than God and, and Jesus. But why do you feel like we gravitate towards those two rather than the one thing that we do know? I would say that for me, most of that comes from it being tangible. So when you ask someone a question about their faith, it's typically, where do you find God? Oh, in nature or when I'm with my dog. (laughs) No one ever says, oh, I find God when I think about how he died for my sins and how he is going to um, deliver us. And so I think that's maybe where it becomes easier for people to relate to that first mm-hmm. rather than some of the intangible mm-hmm. things that are listed in the second article. There's a, uh, that's, that's great. There's a, um, uh, I think it's a far side cartoon where uh, these proselytes are coming to the door and they knock on the door and the person opens the, uh, the door and they say, have you found Jesus? And there he is behind the curtains. Like all you see is his feet and his, <laughs> and his, uh, and his halo or something like this, right? That we're always looking for uh, God someplace, right? May- maybe it's in nature. Maybe it's in the, the, the spirit blowing through uh, political change in the world. Um, we're, always, we're always seeking out and looking for the God. But that's what you're getting at, Mason, is... This is the God who said, here I am for you. The one who said, uh, I seek the lost. I go looking for the lost ones and I find them and bring them to myself rather than, uh, where do you find God? We, we have a history here at First Lutheran uh, with our confirmation students when they're about to get confirmed. Uh, the, our youth and family department asks them this great question. Uh, where do you feel close to God? And do you know what everybody puts on their, they get a picture and they write an art, a little paragraph. And do you know what they all say? They all say the things they enjoy in life, right? Uh, well, that's, I'm actually grateful that, that, uh, that they know that God is with them in the things that they enjoy in life. But I'm just waiting one time for someone <laughs> to say, you know, uh, God is with me uh, when, I, when I broke up with my girlfriend, uh, when I was crying my eyes out, uh, and when, uh, when I got acid thrown in my face. I mean, something where they're saying God is with me even in the things that, I, that are not good, because mm-hmm. that's what Jesus is saying to us, right? Not, uh, I'm up here in heaven and come find me, but I come down into the muck and mire of the world. Uh, I go to the cross to die for the sins of the world uh, with the whole world hating me. Mm-hmm. That's the God who loves us and shows us mercy. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's the God who's finally has a concrete way of acting in the world that isn't just, we don't know what he's going to do. Um, and that's the problem with, with, I think that Sarah's getting at, with God the Father. Uh, sometimes God is saying, uh, um, hey, look at the rainbow. Other times he says, here comes a flood, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're never quite sure. And so throughout the Old Testament, people are imploring, God, please be merciful. Uh, remember your steadfast love to us. Uh, we're never quite sure if, uh, you know, we touched the ark in the wrong way, if we got zapped and we're dead, or if we did it the right thing so God's pleased with us. And so without Jesus, we're always trying to please God instead of Jesus of the second article that we're talking about, who is the pleasing of God. So we don't have to please God any longer, but we trust that he is the beloved son and who has claimed us for the father so that we are always positive that his word to us is mercy and forgiveness. Concretely, uh, unmistakably, not, I wonder what Jesus thinks of me today. Then that's mm-hmm. the certainty of faith. The certainty of faith is yep. what Jesus gives us. There is no doubt with faith it is the certainty exactly. of faith. Exactly. With the spirit, it could be here or there. Yep. The wind blows where it will. The wind blows where it will, right. I think that is the hard part, though, 
is that the repulsiveness of Jesus, the muck, well, why is that repulsive? Because what does every human know? The most intimately, at the end of the day, is sin. Yep. We're with ourselves all day long. We know our own thoughts. And we all intimately know sin. And that's why I feel like what you're saying is that the second article is the most important because Jesus takes the most intimate part of our life unto himself. Yep. Think of what happens without that, without that certainty of faith. Um, you, like you say, Mason, you see yourself all day. Uh, you know your, your sin deeply. Uh, you lie to yourself about it too, by the way, but there's no way out of that within you. And so what you end up doing is taking your sin uh, and polishing it up and trying to make it look good. Um, we start to say, isn't, isn't my sin pretty good? Uh, let me see your sin for a little while, Lindsay. Uh, uh, Mason, could you show us yours? Let's get them all out on the table. And then we get into a mutual admiration society. Wow, you've got some good sin there. <laughs> uh, that's incredible. Uh, where did you get that? Could we get some? And then we start to, uh, we start to uh, love our sin rather than hear what Jesus is saying, not love your sin, but your sin is forgiven removed you've taken away from you uh, and that's the hard part also that we rebel against is jesus saying no i've done this uh what luther says actually in the in the small catechism it's very short he's done all of this everything that's in the creed uh his his virgin birth his uh um, suffering his death all of all of what he's done everything is for one simple thing that uh he would have you as his own yep <laughs> that he's done this for you to be his, his, uh, his, uh, the object of his desire, that he would have you and nothing else could. And you can't stop him. You can't stop he, him. He's relentless. Yeah, he's going to take your sin. Chases you down and grabs yeah. that sin. <laughs> <laughs> I think another part of that that also makes it a little bit more difficult to understand is um, there aren't any good worship songs about the second creed. I mean, most of them it's, oh, I will go here to search for you or I will search for you here <laughs> or here. And the, none of them are saying, when I'm in my deepest despairs, that's when Jesus finds me or when I'm on the highest mountain, he's celebrating with me. And so I think that's another aspect of it too, that it's not something that is wi wi widely preached about or um, done in a fashion that is understandable for your average church attender. Yeah, we're, that's a whole other podcast. We've that got is to, actually that, that's a huge can of worms. We've got to get to uh, some uh, some uh, worship songs that yeah. actually have a good theology around them. Most of them are pretty paltry, uh, yeah. and they do stick around with like, "Oh God, your love is like the oceans. Uh, it's uh, it's cascading down, or and here, we can't." We, I am to worship. Am Look to at worship me, worship you. you like, sure. woo. Yeah. Um, rather than. Here's the God. I don't know how to make this into a into a <laughs> praise song. Uh, here is the concrete God uh, who doesn't let you escape and takes all your sin. I, I, I'm not a God. I'm not a poet. You're, you're in the muck, and yeah. you're going to drag me into the muck and yeah, take my sin from me. Exactly. Very good, thank you. I mean, I feel like those are Lenten hymns. <laughs> That's what I think of. When I think of those hymns is the somber ones yeah. that talk about the hard parts. It, so, so Andrea, that's a good question. When you read the second article, is it a somber reading or is this a joyful reading? Here is God who takes my sin. Is that a somber thing or is that joyful for us? I think it should be joyful. I don't know how we are taking it, but yeah. especially at this time of year, yeah. we're not really feeling all that joyful about it. I think you can only be really joyful or 
like grateful for Jesus's death when you really know the whole story. Because yeah. that is quite the thing to say that you are joyful over somebody dying, let alone God dying. But isn't that what Jesus has come to give us is the joy. He's saying, here's my life. Uh, and we turn that into a way of saying, oh man, I should be really sorry about all this. And he's saying, no, this is my great joy that I get to uh, take this away from you, remove you from this prison of sin. Uh, Jesus is not saying, oh my gosh, I wish you guys had gotten it right so I wouldn't do it for you. He's saying, I'm come to give you this joy, the joy of knowing me and the freedom and the forgiveness and the life that I give for you out of my own mercy and love for the world. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's incredible how we take those things, uh, something like John three sixteen for God so mm -hmm. loved the world. And we start to say, yeah, that's really rough. No, he loved the world. He wanted <laughs> to do this. This is, this is our great joy to share in this. And so even when we get into Christian ministry, uh, in congregations or things, sometimes we get into this mode of, well, if I was too happy about it, maybe, maybe, uh, Jesus would be upset with me. The whole point is that you live your life. Uh, you go off in the joy of knowing Christ's forgiveness and freedom, not saying, but it is, next time i got to get it better. It's death to life, though. I mean, that's the freedom of faith. Death what you're describing yes. there, depicting the joy, that's the, the new life, the resurrection, yes. the faith, the freedom, the peace. Yes. But the death part is, I think, what Andrea is getting at, too. It's the, the words, I forgive you, cut both ways. Yes. Because there is something there that needs to be forgiven. And so, in my experience, when I'm talking to people who think they're pretty good at, <laughs> you know, got my things going the way I want, pretty good at the law, as we say theologically. And, you know, I might sin little things, but, you know, I gave up something a little else, bit I'm bigger for Lent good. than you did, so <laughs> exactly. I'm doing just fine. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I'm doing pretty well. Thank you very much. So, when you really start um, naming the law and the sin to a person like that, this is not good news at first because it's death, which is painful, and it is literally killing their ego and their sense of, I'm doing pretty well. I think things are going, I'm pretty good at not sinning. And so you're absolutely, I totally agree with you, Lars, on the, the new life part, the faith and the freedom and the joy. And that is the function. That is our Christian confession. But... Um, there is certainly an element of rea reality of you go through death first, and we all do on a daily basis, mm -hmm. hopefully, that um, you are your ego is killed. Life is not all about you, and that is actually the root of your sin is that you think life is all about you. And so when that gets named and taken from you and killed, which is what Jesus came to do, it hurts. So the joy especially is to people who are dead in their sin and scared and afraid and dying in whatever form that takes, they can't get enough of Jesus. But people who think they're pretty good at being a Christian or at loving the neighbor or they're on the right side of whatever issue, they get mighty offended at first and the then they feel the joy hopefully <laughs> and they get to choose either the father or the spirit right say, which way are we gonna head I, I don't, i'd like to go a different way yeah. i'd like to keep my life i want to pick you. the other door yeah. thank you very much <laughs> yeah where does gratitude fit into that because i think of like a, a human situation like mason and i were married we have a new puppy i have a really giant work project right now so he's been doing more with the puppy 
And I feel bad about that. So I'm like, I'm so sorry that you're doing all of this. I'm sorry. I'll I'm just sorry. say right I'm now, sorry. Lindsay, that I'm not seeing God in our puppy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he doesn't want me to say I'm sorry. He just wants me to say thank you and be happy that he's right. doing that. So are we lacking gratitude in, as part of the, you know, continual feeling bad is it just a lack of gratitude in some ways for what God is doing for us or Jesus I think when we think of gratitude or joy or any emotion if we try to make ourselves feel that or think we should feel a certain way we have now literally made it impossible to actually feel that way so I can't tell you right now um Mason feel joy in that puppy eating your slipper no, you, you can't feel joy because I say feel joy. Just like I can't tell you, be grateful, Andrea, right now. You, you can't. I think it is a function of faith and that the peace that I've referred to a few times, that peace that surpasses all understanding. When you have Christ in your ear, um, in your conscience, and you have that freedom and the joy Pastor Lars is talking about, yeah, I think gratitude probably will be a part of that. And that the gratitude, I think, will come when you really fully understand even the second article of what exactly Jesus did in his flesh and what he took on. Then, yeah, it's an overwhelming sense of gratitude, I think. But I don't think we can put a should feel or we want you to feel that way. I think it, if it happens, it happens, just like joy and peace and, and all the other things that flow out of faith. Are you saying when I tell my kids, go say thank you, it doesn't really count? It, that is such <laughs> a hollow thing. I know. That is not a thank you. That is a do that so you don't get punished. It's not genuine. I do no, that at school too. I know. Every day. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us today for this Apostle Creed Lenten podcast mini-series. In our next episode, we'll finish discussing the second article as well as the third article of the Creed. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Until then, may the peace of Christ be with you always.